mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. I'm gonna come. Because I'm an American, I can only understand the world through pop culture movie references. And so I'm going to explain the Trump versus DeSantis thing through James Cameron's Terminator 2. Trump is Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2. You know, in, in the first Terminator, he was the bad guy, right? That was his uh, 2016 to you know, almost 2022, 2023. But now the uh, Skynet, a.k.a. let's just call him the deep state just for fun, um, has sent a new uh, evil conservative fascist, whatever, uh, to destroy the world, and that is Ron DeSantis. And so now humanity's only hope is the original Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, a.k.a. Donald Trump. Um, this is where we're at right now. I beg liberals to stop trying to indict Donald Trump for now. I mean, the timing, it couldn't be worse. I, I really think that um, if there is, uh, if there are puppets pulling the strings, I think that you're doing Ron DeSantis and his interests uh, a huge favor by trying to indict Donald Trump for, was it paying off Stormy Daniels? Is that what they're trying to get him on? Some weird technicality? And then what are they going to do? I, I think, you know, does, Trump will negotiate support for DeSantis in, in exchange for a pardon or something like that. So can we lay off the guy for a little bit? He's kind of, you know, he's kind of on our team right now because Ron DeSantis is objectively worse than Donald Trump by pretty much every measure. Um, and we're going to go through that today on the show. Uh, we're doing the top 10 craziest, wackiest uh, bills making the way through the Florida legislature. So we have Ryan Ray with us, a returning guest. He'll introduce himself soon. I don't have to go into too much detail about it. But again, guys, everybody, please, you know, give Trump a break right now. He's he's our he's on our team in a way. Um, so, uh, you know, Trump twenty Always, always dress, always, always, you know, be, be ready. Dress for the job you want or whatever. And what job is that right there? Um, This is uh, Elizabeth Warren, communications director. <laughs> now you got to get a Holocaust tattoo for that. Oh, my God. Oh yeah. My fucking God. What's she up to these days? I don't hear much from her. Bailing out Silicon Valley Bank. Right. That whole thing. God, that yeah. was so funny. This week has been really funny on the Internet. Uh, with the Silicon Valley Bank, with Jordan Peterson tweeting out the um, fetish porn. Did you oh, see that? Yeah. Um, that, I did. That made my that made my my whole year already. I mean, that is the funniest thing you could possibly do, and I, I think it requires sincerity. It's because he wasn't shit posting. I mean, no. he's he. That's the next thing is sincere posting, but you're accidentally shit posting. It's it blows my mind. The dragon of chaos. Did you know he's a Florida uh, man now too? Uh, I saw Opalaka. Opalaka, and I was reading interesting. The, I That's like the, the city with like the first black mayor. That's like an extremely like black governed city. <laughs> What's going on? Why is Jordan Peterson in Opalaka? 
apparently he's been recovering since his uh, D-benzodiazepine treatment in Serbia in Florida. Uh, mm. Maybe it's the the warm air here, but uh, you know, I think it's a waste of time to hate Jordan Peterson. I think that I think that I'm 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 starting to embrace him and love him for just the absolute insane drug addled man that he is. And he's a he's a Florida man now. You know, he's part of our community. So I think we gotta welcome welcome. Yeah, welcome doctor. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Peterson. Um, yeah, I think I, I I think that pity is the only appropriate emotion to feel towards Dr. Peterson. Yeah, let's stop the hate, everybody. Stop the hate. Um, Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Cheeseburger in Babylon. We have with us uh, my favorite guest ever, (laughs) Ryan Ray. Ryan, say what's up. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Thanks. So, Ryan, uh, can you give uh, our listeners, our new listeners, uh, your bona fides? Sure. Yeah. I um, work for a city commissioner at the city of Tallahassee, Commissioner Jeremy Matlow. I am also the chair of the local Democratic Party, the Leon County Democratic Executive Committee, and a longtime uh, fighter for progress and justice here in Florida. Born and raised in Tampa, uh, attended New College of Florida down your way in Sarasota. All right, up here. All right, rip, rip to a real one. Uh, yeah. F in the chat. And uh, have been up in Tallahassee doing state government and political process stuff um, for about the last decade. So Ryan campaigns, worked in the process, worked as a journalist, all that stuff. Ryan is no slouch like so many of our other guests. Um, uh, did you ever think that Florida would be such uh, so have such presence on a, on a national and maybe even like international stage at this point? I remember when I was traveling you yes. know, less about 10 years ago or so. I would introduce myself as someone who is from New York because I didn't think that Florida was a frame of reference for anybody. But now I don't think that's the case. Now we are front and fucking center. Yeah, I did think so. I mean, I you know, I'm born and raised in Tampa. I'm so from Tampa that both my parents were born in Tampa, which is kind of unusual in like a mm-hmm. transient city, a transient part of a transient state. Um, but yeah, I've always been since I was a little kid, I've considered myself like an amateur Floridatologist. And, you know, a lot of people are leaving, and we'll talk about that when some of the legislation, some of the really awful legislation that's circulating this session. But even before this, you've seen a kind of um, exodus of people like the kind of people that we know from New College or or just urban-oriented people that live in in the in the cities in Florida that are leaving to to a more blue parts of blue states. Um, I've always uh, thought, my working theory has always been that Florida is too important culturally, electorally, um, just materially, the sheer mm-hmm. number of people that live here um, and its strategic importance as a part of the a part of the country um, to to cede to these reactionary um, crazy forces. So, yeah, here we are. Um, I never thought I remember when I was growing up Tampa or not even that long ago, a decade ago, you know, Tampa was kind of the butt of Lena Dunham jokes. Um, oh, right. I remember and, that. And, that. And, and and now, I mean, people are moving. FSU students talk to them all the time. When they graduated, they all wanted to go to Atlanta or somewhere else. Um, now, right in the middle of the state is a big place. So it's really significant. And uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. It takes on a national and international importance now. And and look at Lena Dunham now. So who won that, Tampa or Lena Dunham? Uh, yeah, I, I think on today's episode, we're going to talk about the top 10 most insane bills uh, making their way through the Florida, Florida legislation this month. Uh, but I think that we'll start with the Trump versus DeSantis uh, battle. I, I think that this entire Florida, this entire legislation uh, legislative year is kind of um, a roadmap for Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign. And the fact that it's getting so much attention uh, is to Ron DeSantis's benefit. I mean, I, I was actually disappointed when John Oliver did a whole like HBO segment on his, you know, milk toast liberal television show about the evils of DeSantis. It's like, great, you're just giving him free press. You know, you're giving him precisely what he wants without anything in exchange. DeSantis doesn't speak to the press anymore, right? So. 
why give him that then without him having to even answer for himself? Uh, I saw him playing catch with uh, Brian Kilmeade on Fox News the other day. Just two normal guys playing really? catch in, in, in full suits. Wait, Brian Kilmeade's the one who like stuck his head in a microwave, one, right? It's the one that he's the dumb one of the Fox and Friends, right? He's, he's at the kids table of the Fox and Friends. Yeah, table. yeah. He, he, his eyes are really close together. Um, <laughs> Why don't you mind DeSantis getting more national coverage? So, so I'm of two minds on on it because on one hand, it's I do see the danger in giving Ron DeSantis um, um, national press when he's not willing to take the scrutiny that comes along with it and to answer questions from mainstream reporters like CNN and the Washington Post and the New York Times. Although we all have our misgivings with those outlets, um, but. At the same time, I do think that it's time to kind of confront him um, and, and confront the Ron DeSantis phenomenon for what it is. I think for a long time he's kind of gotten a pass as being some sort of moderate, normal Republican governor. Um, but he is pretty clearly, and I think that there's a consensus around progressives around the country that he would actually be worse than Trump. Um, so I think it's important to... Um, to, to put that stuff out there and actually, you know, make that comparison as opposed to, you know, the the the, con- the conventional wisdom that holds that Trump is a disaster. Ron DeSantis would be a breath of fresh air as at least a normal politician that follows, you know, um, the, 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 the protocols and decorum of normal politics. I think that DeSantis actually represents something even more dangerous. And um, hopefully some of this national coverage gets at that. Well, you know, it, you said that he's the future of conservative politics but he feels more like a throwback to me he he seems to be more closely related to uh george w bush than trump uh and in terms of i think his neocon tendencies uh so it it feels like a return to a, a different kind of conservative politics albeit with I think a different veneer. I think that Republicans um, have have done a pretty good job over the past five plus years as portraying themselves as punk rockers. You know, they're 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 the ones bucking the system. They're the cool ones who swear now. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen King of the Hill, right? Of course. Are you there, Ryan? Yes, of course. Um, you know, Hank Hill was a, your dyed-in-the-wool uh, George W. Bush supporter, like your proper uh, conservative without any of the weird, like, based baggage that seems to beset all conservatives today. I, I'd say a 21st century Hank Hill would be a Democrat today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think— It could well be. I mean, people have made comparisons to Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. uh, which I think make a lot of sense— Although, um, you know, he's taken flack for his, um, you know, stances on Ukraine. He's actually kind of riding the populist tide in that way and the kind of intervention, um, uh, the, the isolationism of uh, the sort of Matt Gates uh, right uh, way, ring wave there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. He, he definitely, I know this for sure, and, and as maybe a segue to the legislative session stuff, the meaning of Ron DeSantis, um, he is absolutely, one, inarguably, trying to get to the right of Donald Trump. Um, and I think we're seeing everything that he's doing is basically stage managing and kind of handling the state government of Florida as a way to get more conservative in the minds of uh, South Carolina and Iowa, uh, early state Republican primary voters nationally. That's kind of the thing that is underlying everything else that's happening right now. It does. It is concerning. Uh, I, you know, for I, for a while, I felt pretty confident that Trump could knock DeSantis on his ass. But uh, there are a lot of things coalescing that make it seem less likely now. And one of them is the uh, the upcoming indictments or the supposed indictments. I mean, God, how many times have we heard that you know there are indictments just looming, uh, circling Trump, but they never really come to fruition. Um, 
But my advice to, yeah, progressives and, and liberals is, um, you know, stop rooting for the demise of Trump right now. Because I have this pet theory that if Trump is, in fact, indicted, he will make a deal with Ron DeSantis to back him uh, in exchange for a pardon. That's a great theory. I definitely think whether he would give it to him or not or whether that deal would happen or not, I absolutely think that Ron DeSantis' strategy involves uh, Trump getting in legal trouble that disqualifies him. I think that explains a lot of why he hasn't confronted him directly, even though Trump is confronting DeSantis, DeSanctus, DeSanctismonious, Meatball Ron, (laughs) what have you, directly. And Ron doesn't return fire because I think that in his mind, he's got this ace in the hole in his back pocket, which is indictments for Trump that seem to just kind of disqualify him. Clearly, the uh, billionaire class and the uh, folks that um, that produce white papers and think tanks and op-eds and the sort of intelli- intelligentsia of um, the uh, conservative movement have moved on beyond Trump. Everyday people and the people that go to the Iowa State Fair and vote in South Carolina primaries have not... Um, but I think that DeSantis is absolutely, um, I think that you've identified this correctly. A big part of his strategy is uh, Trump getting hit by a, uh, by, a, by, by, by a green turtle shell and uh, DeSantis <laughs> being able to just move right past him. Yeah. So, I, 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 again, I, I think, you know, this is where Democrats fumble the ball. Uh, if they had any foresight or any real tactics or ability to play whatever whenever someone says uh, three-dimensional chess or whatever, it would be to prop up this fight as much as they possibly can. And I, I've been speaking to a lot of uh, older conservative Trump voters here in Florida, and I was at uh, North Jetty in Venice, and it was there's this canal where boats go in and out of... Uh, there's this pass by North Jetty where these boats go in and out of the bay and into the Gulf. And it's the most bizarre thing because you just have all of these people set up in lawn chairs along the seawall just watching boats go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they are... Our beautiful boaters. ...decked out in Trump paraphernalia. I mean, there was a, you know, a camper bus there, one of those big old camper buses. Just every every inch of it was covered in Trump paraphernalia. And I went up and I spoke with them. They had like a couple Ron DeSantis things, uh, uh-huh. but this was right after uh, you know a big uh, a Trump uh, punch at, at DeSantis. And I was like, where, "What's going on, guys? Like, where do you stand in all this?" And they got conspiratorial, and they were saying that uh, the liberals want Ron DeSantis because they can beat Ron DeSantis. They can't beat Trump. Mm. Um, so they were still. Trump number one and like reluctant DeSantis number two, uh, and it was it was interesting well, watching them kind of do some mental jujitsu to get around this whole thing. And and I guess what we can only pray for is that Trump is so vindictive that he feels wronged by DeSantis somehow that he peels away like five percent of the of voters from uh, you know the, the national election and gives it to who Biden. God damn, we are so fucked, aren't we? It's so tough. Um, I do think that Donald Trump is probably the only thing standing between uh, DeSantis beating Joe Biden. I mean, I think that's a fairly decent likelihood. Um, and I think that, you know, to your, to your point of the spectators of our, of our beautiful voters, whomst we love, um, I think it might be the other way around. I have heard takes from liberal Democrats um, that somehow Trump would be worse, but I think the tide is starting to change on that. I think that people, especially this session, are seeing the danger in DeSantis and seeing Trump with his more, he has kind of a populist left hook. He's just, in general, less um, less uh, ideologically driven, uh, more into the vanity and the pomp and circumstance, whereas I think DeSantis is really uh, gets off on the, the hardcore policy stuff. Um, and is just younger, has more vigor, is more in touch um, with uh, people, you know, under <laughs> under 70. Um, that I, I kind of, I have the same diagnosis as you. I think that can, uh, Ron DeSantis' plan absolutely involves um, being the contingency 
um, for if uh, Trump, you know, strokes out or dies or is otherwise disqualified. Trump, Trump's going to live another 20 years, I think. But, uh, inshallah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that what we have here with DeSantis is he, he does not have the, the charisma that Trump has. Uh, and so what he's doing, instead of going out and speaking in, in big rallies and really just saying the funniest shit you can possibly come up with, he is passing uh, these psychopathic bills. I, I think that is what he is offering uh, over Trump's uh, pomp and circumstance. Because Trump promised so many fucking things that didn't come to fruition. And that's what made him a less worse president, that he couldn't accomplish things. The fact that he didn't build the wall, the fact that he didn't lock her up. I, I think that his his supporters don't really care. They actually don't really care about policy. But what DeSantis has is this these these insane bills that they're pushing through uh, the Florida legislation. And but right before we get to that, I want to talk about like what the Democrats have to offer in response to DeSantis. And the latest Democratic news uh, in the state of Florida is that they elected Nikki Freed, uh, our former uh, or the last uh, state elected uh, Democrat in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the last state Freed elected beat out, Democrat. Uh, beat out Annette Tadeo, who was a more mm-hmm. uh, progressive-minded uh, candidate for, for the Florida Democratic Party. Why why did Nikki Freed win? Well, um, Nikki Freed won um, for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, she just has a star power. You know, she's a she's a bigger deal um, to most people, and she's very familiar to Democrats. That's one big reason. Um, she was able to run a short campaign um, that kind of just jumped in at the last uh, moment. You know, I think her campaign was about twelve days long. Um, and was able to just kind of power through on the strength of her big following, um, and rightly uh, so, her connections with people all across the state um, from being um, elected uh, agriculture commissioner. Since Bill Nelson was defeated in 2018, um, that since that point on, you know, she's been the only elected statewide Democrat, and Ron DeSantis has had fun just in recent days uh, with the fact that this is the first time since the Civil War, uh, since the Reconstruction era that we haven't had um, a Democrat elected in a statewide uh, office. No U.S. Senator and none of the um, statewide cabinet level positions. So she she is a known quantity to many Democrats around the state, and I think that's a big reason. Another reason is I think the, uh, the way that the Democrats elect their chair, it's kind of archaic and hard to explain, but um, there's a weighted vote system um, that... Um, there's been controversial uh, within the party and, and gives a, a lot of the vote to a small number of people that hold offices. Uh, granted, they also uh, represent a lot of Democrats in exchange for that weight. So, I mean, that's that's controversial and there are mul- multiple views on it. But, yeah, I mean, I think that she was well-known and uh, the sort of people that elect the chair, um, state committee men and state committee women uh, in these positions within county parties, um, liked her better. Um, it was a close race, but, um, you know, she, she got the unenviable job, and uh, a lot of us are hopeful that she, she does a good job. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, but uh, I, I'm going to have to shelve my usual optimism considering Nikki Freed's uh, past associations with certain special interest groups like FPL, like Big Sugar, um, I know that our, our mutual friend Kartik Krishnayer uh, is no fan of hers at all, uh, and so I I do wonder to what extent this is just a continuation of the Democratic Party being captured by corporate consultant interests. Uh, it if I keep thinking like the Democrats have reached rock bottom, but then they. There's always seems to it seems bottomless. Like it's like they keep doing worse, and so it's hard to remain optimistic in the face of all of this. And we'll 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 talk about optimism at the end. Um, but for now, I think it's time for us to get into uh, our top ten our top ten countdown of uh, 
the, the, the most insane bills making their way through the Florida legislation. And uh, mm. we'll start at number 10. Uh, coming in at number 10 uh, is 170 local ordinances. Uh, now, Ryan, I know that you testified about 170. Uh, can you tell our audience what one set, Bill 170 is? Yeah. Yeah, in my 10 years of um, activism, work, advocacy, um, coverage in and around the process, been inside that building, um, you know, hundreds of times for for work in different capacities. This is the very first time in my 10 years now, uh, almost, uh, in Tallahassee, that I've ever testified on a bill. Um, SB 170 is what they're calling the Death Star uh, super preemption, which would basically effectively freeze into place the status quo at all of the cities and counties, um, local governments in Florida, uh, basically by saying that any business, right, not an individual, mind you, it has to be a business, and it doesn't have to be based in Florida, it doesn't have to have jurisdictional standing within that municipality or within that county, it can be anywhere. Uh, even uh, it can even be a business in communist China, as one advocate <laughs> recently said. Um, any business can basically sue a local government um, to hold it up if it believes that it will have a net negative impact. And there's some level, uh, I think, ten percent or something. It's a de minimis. It's a small number, but basically, if any business believes that a local government ordinance will negatively affect their profit margins, they can sue the local government. And there's now a presumption uh, right now, currently. Uh, Ordinances can be challenged in court, but they're they're in place until a court finds them to be inappropriate. Um, this would actually immediately freeze it into place until such time. Uh, it would basically cre- create this injunction, this emergency injunction that takes it off the books immediately and freezes it until a court actually um, uh, rules that it's proper. So it creates a, a presumption under the law, in Florida law, that any state government ordinance that a lo- that any business of any kind uh, objects to is wrong, um, and that's really extreme, um, and in a really severe radical removal of um, local home rule authority and frankly power of Florida voters, uh, a transfer of power from the people that live in cities and counties and local communities, uh, and the the government that's so effectively to them, this is just uh, uh, straight to um, the consolidating power state within. Government. The state and not within local cities and counties. Yeah, I think one thing that you see increasingly is a Tenth Amendment extremism, right? Like uh, the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says that rights not uh, enumerated above um, uh, are are reserved to the states or to the people, right? They kind of forget about or to the people part, <laughs> which I think it properly is placed in local governments, and they really have this kind of anal. Um, they kind of have this 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 fixation on on the states. Now, to me, states are probably the least legitimate form of government formally in the country, and this in the in the country. Um, local people have a lot of faith and a lot of familiarity with their state, uh, with their with I'm sorry, with their local government. They know who their mayor is. They know who their city councilwoman is. They see them at the grocery store, and people vote and participate at very high levels in federal elections too. And there's vetting and digesting of. Of, of federal legislation and federal government that happens and people are familiar with that. But the tenth, uh, but, but the state governments are exactly this kind of weird backwater that's not known. You have very low rates of uh, public information. You have very low rates of, of turnout and legitimacy and credibility, in my opinion. Um, you go back to the civil rights era. <laughs> A lot of the biggest advances in this country's history have been... Um, basically the federal government preventing the states from enacting things that are harmful to minorities. Um, and so even though you've got historically our lessons are that progress comes from local governments or from on top from the federal government as a way of people make, taking collective action to improve their lives, state governments, although they've been an impediment to progress many times, this iteration, this administration, and this current legislature um, seems hell-bent on uh, preempting all um, authority beneath well, them and, and concentrating man, it within itself. I don't itself. even know what to say um, to this so kind of words, stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not anything... It's not a, a, a new tactic. I mean, I, I saw that here with um, the new zoning uh, uh, comprehensive plan where 
because of a state law that enshrined some sort of uh, requirement to make developers whole if any new, uh, you know, affordable housing policies passed. That yeah, basically it it tied the local uh, our, our local city commission's hands uh, in regards to implementing anything that would create affordable housing uh, because of a state law. So this just seems like that in in extremis, right? Yeah, it's completely crazy, Isaac. It's completely crazy. It basically pres- creates this broad expansion of um, uh, of of private property rights, which I think are uh, is unwarranted and, and way too much on one side of the pendulum there. Basically creates a presumption that any developer that wants to do anything shall be allowed to do it in opposition from neighborhoods or the people involved in local governments at cities and counties. Their objections and are so, And so like against like that. And that's just totally crazy and just totally extreme and out of whack. Um yeah, in keeping with that, there's a consolidate the least, the least, the least legitimate uh, form of government in Florida, i.e., the state government, is taking the power. Uh, it's at, it's challenging federal authority on one hand, on the other hand, uh, kind of punching down and taking which away also local authority. is so against um, yeah, your that's just, that's a, at that's least a classical run through conservative <laughs> ethos of uh, self rule. Uh, so I, I wonder if there's going to be any sort of ideological blowback there that. People are going to begin to resent this kind of uh, deregulation. It's become pretty clear to me that um, really this current uh, regime here isn't actually interested in limited government, small government, um, restraint within the government, but really just. You know, DeSantis says he wakes up every day and wants to beat the left. And he's following a classic Nixonian um, and, and others uh, inspired policy of defunding the left. There's a reason that these policies target teachers, trial lawyers, um, professors, because these are labor unions, uh, because these are the people that has historically been um, people that fund democratic, um, liberal oriented activities. And so really you see these policies kind of working backwards from a goal of taking away the agency and the standing and the viability of um, those institutions. And the policy uh, minutia, the details of the policy are kind of reverse engineered to just effectuate that larger goal. So you're seeing that pretty nakedly. So yeah, you'll continue to see um, conflicts <laughs> between what, um, the, what, what Republicans espouse as their principles of small government and all that stuff. To what's actually happening, because really it's just beating up the other guys. That's the that's the main trend that animates um, all this stuff. Well, we'll see some more of this uh, as we go down the list. Uh, at number nine number is number HB nine nine nine, and all these have very uh, innocuous sounding titles uh, when they're in the house, which is why they have to be given. We have to make them a little more, bit sexier, right? I mean, that was with last year with like the whole "Don't say gay." Uh, it was given that title to to at least bring attention to the the bill's title, which was something like what, like restoring families' rights or something, you know, euphemistic. Um, this one HB nine 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 is called public post secondary educational institutions. Uh, Ryan, you also testified, I believe, uh, on HB nine nine nine. Want to tell us about that? I did, yeah. So there's two different strategies depending on the political calculus around each issue. If it's a big um, wedge culture war issue, um, like the Stop Woke Act, you know, like like attacking, um, uh, you know, uh, transgender people, LGBTQ people, then they'll put a big title on it um, that is meant to evoke attention. But if there's something that's uh, not popular, like uh, messing around with uh, educational curriculums, um, they'll give it um, a title that reminds me of Hannah Arendt's um, works, uh, you know, The Banality of Evil, right? They want to just kind of dress it down and, and, and move past it without calling a lot of attention to it. And that's the case with this bill, because they know that unlike some of the footing, some of the territory that they fight on, this is not a popular one. People are generally against uh, conservatives, MPAs, um, 
and pretty much everyone else is against the state government dictating educational policy from on high, the content of curriculum. That's very unpopular. And that's what HB 999 seeks to do. Um, it's a bill that would um, prevent a great deal of majors. Uh, I think the entire concept of, of, uh, of intersectionality, um, the concept of, of course, critical race theory, um, the concept of, uh, I think, gender studies. They call it radical feminist theory or radical gender studies. That's the name of the bill. But, of course, you know, that's impossible to enforce. And a lot of the de devils here is going to be in the details of it's going to have a chilling effect. Anything that becomes close to being close to this is going to be, um, is going to be removed. Um, you've already gotten uh, professors, even college professors, right? There's this whole moral panic around teaching things to children, and the curricular um, um, content that is presented to children, right? It was all about the kids. Now we're seeing this uh, same tactics employed to prevent adults from teaching and learning certain uh, broad concepts. So yeah, the bill basically prevent it would remove diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion departments or anything uh, that includes. Uh, that those concepts writ large is extremely imprecise and sweeping and it's going to have a chilling effect and scare the shit out of everybody because of how broad it is. Um, we saw a lot of a lot of the people that testified along with me yesterday are people from the Divine Nine, black sororities and black student unions. Um, very, very unclear. Uh, I think there's an attempt in the bill to carve them out uh, because they know that's really a, a poison pill and is really unpopular. Uh, nonetheless, the belief is that it will negatively, uh, it will adversely impact them. And uh, basically, it's just a. Um, uh, it, it also it also um, it's an omnibus, uh, you know, uh, fuck higher mm -hmm. education bill in Florida. We, we kind of have like this Cadillac system. One of the things that the state government has done well is like Bright Futures and University of Florida and New College and FSU and UCF USF. I mean, we've got a really good uh, higher education system. Um, and it's been flourishing, and we've gotten FSU and UF um, to the tops of national public school rankings. This is going to really, really significantly impact that in a negative way and drive a lot of people away. Um, another thing that it does is basically making t tenure meaningless. Right now, faculty senates and faculty-run groups are able to appoint and give tenure and review incoming um, applicants for, for professorships, um, that's going to be taken away and be put and concentrated into the hands again. You see this concentration of power into the governor's office um, into into a really extreme administration as hands. Um, basically, university presidents uh, that are appointed by the state government and, and trustees that are appointed by DeSantis particularly are going to have uh, not just more oversight, but I think basically all the meaningful oversight of who's hired and who's fired at um, at Florida's public schools, which is going to have a major, uh, other people, PhDs, people who are qualified that are looking to come uh, to another state are going to take a pass on Florida because of this. In my testimony yesterday, among all the other things that are terrible about this legislation, uh, one is that it's going to make us an outlier. The, the right-wing Manhattan Institute that kind of made this le model legislation that this is based off of, they didn't even go this far. <laughs> this, uh, this bill, in terms of fucking with tenure and, and in terms of fucking with um, the, um, uh, the, the content of actually curricular material, that's been pretty well um, uh, uh, struck down repeatedly uh, as, as not constitutional. This bill wades well into territory that is known to be unconstitutional, and I think it, in many ways it's it's seeking to um, to confront a constitutional precedent, and it's a, it's a bill that's kind of in search of a constitutional challenge. They want to run this up the flagpole and see if the U.S. Supreme Court will uphold just a straight right wing ideological attack uh, and, and, and takeover, a Reedy Creek style takeover. Of yeah, we're, we're 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 seeing a a, a lot. We're seeing a lot of that, I think, considering DeSantis's connections with uh, the Federalist Society and the Federalist Society's takeover of the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm sure they would love for these bills to be challenged and make their way up to the Supreme Court to see if they can't just render them null I think so um, too. nationally. Uh, yeah, there's a lot here. All, all these bills are... You know, manifold. They they have, 
I, I think all these ulterior motives beyond just what the bill itself is proposing. Um, I do think that uh, I'm going to try again, and find the, it. The underlying goal of all of it is again, I can't stress it enough. As you said, you've correctly identified the underlying point of all this stuff. There are lots of kind of wet dream fantasies here that are being enacted. Right wing people have always wanted to do defunding, crushing unions, defunding public education, literally destroying public education. And we'll talk about that in some of the some of the other uh, later stuff, I'm sure. But um, yeah, the underlying goal of all of it is to make DeSantis more conservative than Trump in the eyes of early state GOP primary voters. And I think that the media is doing a great job of portraying it as such. Um, and we can talk about that too, maybe a different episode. Um, and I, I do want to do a whole other episode about what HB 999 is doing uh, and what's happening at New College. And I kind of have a, a controversial take on all this, which is that um, maybe the silver lining <laughs> is that these institutions were already broken. Um, I mean, I think that higher education has become a Ponzi scheme of sorts. And I think that uh, when you look at like the, one of the largest uh, debt bubbles in, in this country, it's, it's from colleges. And it's from certain disciplines that just have no viability in the current economy. And so uh, it's not that I think that these, these subjects are bad by any means, quite the opposite. But I think that they're bad in the context of the corporatization of higher education. And so, you know, there is like a silver lining that maybe we'll have less kids taking six figures worth of debt to get a degree in anthropology. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, it, it's not, th- those. that's not a good thing. So maybe maybe there's like a small silver lining in, in all that. Of course, uh, I don't condone the way it's being done, but uh, maybe less kids going to college is a good thing. Yeah, I think I we want to be careful that the uh, the cure isn't worse than the uh, ailment. But uh, yeah, I mean, point sure. taken on that for sure. Uh, I don't think... Uh, that the uh, uh, I don't think a lot of what you're describing is sustainable, but I don't think that uh, a right wing takeover of the state university system is a is a good thing either. And I don't think that it's coming from uh, the motivations that you're describing. Although I I am open minded. No, I mean you know the one legitimate criticism I think that uh, conservatives have had of academia is the administrative bloat that it suffers from. Uh, mm-hmm. You know there are as many, if not more, administrators than there are professors in colleges today. And that's not a good thing. That's part of the reason why college is so fucking expensive now. Uh, But of course, instead of removing administrative bloat, what they're doing is just creating more. Uh, With the hiring of Richard Corcoran by more than doubling uh, the president's salary over at uh, New College of Florida, is, is evidence of that. They're, they're not interested in saving money or saving higher education. I, I think that they are perfectly happy to completely annihilate it. And Yeah, no, I think you're going to get right-wing bloat. You're going to get a right-wing yeah. grifter uh, occupying that bloat as opposed to a reduction of it. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just think that some of these issues that exist in higher education, um, you know, this legislation is just a complete... Uh, sledgehammer where, where a scalpel is probably better called it, for. It's kind of like when you take uh, antibiotics uh, and you remove all the good bacteria too and you just allow all bad bacteria to colonize what was a sort of balanced system even if it wasn't perfect at the time. And so, yeah, I, I think that the conservatives are just going to wipe clean the entire higher education system in the state of Florida and replace it with their own parasites, who are uh, much worse than the uh, like neoliberal parasites that have taken over higher education. Well, I hope that you're right that a a crisis might be a good thing because in higher education, because uh, by all appearances, we're uh, we're definitely going to get one. Uh, continuing with education, uh, on our countdown of the most psychotic bills making their way through the Florida legislation, we have HB one which is just titled Education. Uh, But what it really is is a proposal uh, to pretty much entirely defund Florida public schools 
and give, I think, $4 billion uh, to private charter schools uh, through that that voucher program that that was started under, like, Bush Jr., right? The whole notion of vouchers. Um, So, Ryan, do you know anything about that? Yeah, unfortunately, we've all had to learn a lot about HB1. Yeah, HB1 is is a truly ghastly um, piece of legislation that is, again, kind of the apotheosis of decades of um, of fever dreams from the most right-wing groups in American life, Um, like the Koch brothers, for instance, Americans for Prosperity, which is a right-wing front group of um, the Koch brothers. I say brothers, and one of them has passed away, but that that formation of billionaire... um, right-wing political influence that creates model legislation. One of the things that they've always uh, wanted is not just the crushing of organized labor in, in, in education, teachers' unions. Um, they have always wanted to to do away with that. Um, but I think public education as a going concern in general, they've always wanted to get rid of. Um, I think that they want uh, to drive down labor costs, which is a big part of that. I think that they want to dismantle state capacity and government um, ability to do anything, and I think that dismantling public education is 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 exactly um, a full frontal assault on that. HB one would basically make it so that the same per capita funding that a that a child a student gets in public schools would be able to go uh, quote follow that student no matter what kind of institution they go to um, for the very first time. That would include homeschools. Um, and for the very first time, it would include a private school that already exists. So basically, if you opt out of public school, uh, right now the kind of deal has been, well, you can, of course, not choose to go to public schools, um, but then you're going to bear the cost of that um, because, you know, why, why should the public uh, divert its funds away from public ends? Now this goal is going to redefine basically um, what is a public education as any Tom, Dick, and Harry that has a fly-by-night charter school, which we know a lot of these for-profit charter schools have high rates of failure. Um, they tried out a really wide, um, a thoroughgoing um, attempt um, at privatizing a school district next door to us in Jefferson County, which was a huge boondoggle. Uh, in a failure. And Cor- Corcoran, Corcoran oversaw that too. Yes, he did. Yeah, he's been at the uh, he's been a hatchet man um, in these endeavors from from before the beginning. Yeah, since he was uh, since Richard Corcoran was the um, uh, chief of staff to Speaker House Speaker Marco Rubio, I think back in two thousand six, he's been uh, kind of a person who's been the white uh, paper think tanker leading this stuff. Um, you know, HP one on the Senate side, I think it's SB two hundred two is endorsed by my state senator. Republican Corey Simon, um, who was elected amid sort of low turnout and dissatisfaction uh, in, in a kind of once-in-a-generation uh, kind of turnout um, uh, behind Ron DeSantis's re-election. So yeah, um, it, it basically makes it so that anyone who goes to private school or anyone who has a, 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 just a, a church school or any sort of, um, uh, you know, loosely accredited, anything that you call a school can basically be funded at the same level of a public school. And people have cited $4 billion um, as the likely cost of this, but really it's however many uh, shysty people start new uh, new, um, new, new public, uh, private, uh, charter schools, church schools, home schools, whatever, you know, whatever that, whatever they do, that's how much it'll cost. You know, that times the full amount of what a private, um, of what a public school child gets. Um, in public education. It's crazy. Just a couple of years ago, I think we saw for the first time charter schools are getting more capital outlay dollars. PICO funds, which are like the funds that go to school improvements, renovating wings, building new school construction, that kind of thing for the growing state's population. For the first time just a couple of years ago, more of that as, a, as an absolute number went to charter schools than public schools. Uh, and this just absolutely breaks the dam wide open and, and really, really... Is a is an existential threat to your traditional neighborhood public schools, which is exactly uh, what these radical people want. Uh, there's a, a couple that own um, a beachfront property over on Longboat. Uh, I think it's called the Ohana property, and I think they spent you know fifteen million dollars. And it's just this obscene piece of property because they have there's a seawall that was built in the '70s that goes all the way into the Gulf of Mexico, and so it it actually cuts uh, this beach, Whitney Beach, uh, in half, and 
you can't go around it during most of the times of the day because the, the water will be up to your waist. And then you can't go – it's like an extra mile and a half to go around it. Um, and they made their fortune off of uh, designing, I think, playgrounds for charter schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've – there's so much money there. I mean like public funds, like there is just so much taxpayer dollars to steal in this country. Uh, that, that couple, what they did because people were walking across their quote-unquote property – they spent, I think, $150,000 on a Belgian Malinois train to, you know, chase people off the beach. So just like – and great people all around. Uh, you know, this is another part of my uh, Midwest invasion theory, that these are all Midwesterners. Mm. You know, I, 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 I haven't looked into this, but I wouldn't be surprised if charter schools – the concept of charter schools came from the Midwest. Um, definitely an individualistic – um, disregard for the public sphere is absolutely animating this. I mean, it's kind of a tragedy. You know, the the public school system was kind of the last functioning public commons that helps form mm-hmm. a cohesive society and that uh, the government publicly sponsors equity um, and, and equality and, and creating... Uh, meeting people where they are, serving children with disabilities equally, um, not turning away any students. Um, that's the sort of role of, you know, the sort of the ideal of the one-room school ra- uh, schoolhouse. Um, this is absolutely just resegregating uh, uh, public schools in Florida. Um, and um, it's going to create um, a two-tier system of people that have the access and the sophistication and people whose parents can figure out the best way um, to do all the paperwork and do all the, uh, all the finagling that's involved in, uh, in, in getting a good uh, publicly subsidized private education um, and those who are basically left behind in what's left of the defunded public education right. system. It's truly, I, um, it, it's, it's pretty dark. It, well, it's just, it, it sounds like the way things are right now, but worse. I mean, when you think about the way that, uh, you know, privileged kids make their way through even the public school institution. I mean, my, my parents helped me, like, write papers and do projects. And, you know, I got to take a, a private uh, SAT test, like, practice test. So, I mean, those those things have always existed. I guess this is, again, just the the system itself on steroids yes and you know there's any number of things you're you're exactly right it does kind of worsen uh and accelerate and exacerbate the the worst inequalities in our existing system which again isn't perfect but again just kind of like with hb 999 uh you you have an interesting skill from one to 999 right with these house bills which are so crazy and radical um they are uh, going to exacerbate it and uh, going to create schools uh, which are publicly funded but without any of the safeguards or without having to meet any of the criteria that public schools have to and they, they, meet. they routinely fail. Like charter schools, these private schools routinely fail their yes. students and produce, you know, uh, dumb kids more or less. And mark my words, molested kids. Like this is where if you're concerned about groomers – uh, these private institutions are rife with sexual predators and they can get away with it so much more easily within them because of the lack of oversight, because there aren't these government institutions putting administrators in place to prevent these kinds of, uh, you know, this, this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody hold me to this, that there will be a rise of pedophiles in our education system in Florida thanks to uh, charter schools. I definitely believe that there's a salutary, generally beneficial effect of um, the bigness uh, in, the, in, a, in a, a social milieu of lots of different types of people all together. Um, and you are definitely going to see the elimination of that, and I do think that creates less oversight. All right, moving on to uh, number seven on our countdown. Uh, I'm combining these two bills because they more or less do the same thing. Uh, The first one is uh, Senate Bill 1238, titled Energy Regulation, and then Senate Bill 1240, Land and Water Management. And what they effectively do is prohibit 
counties, municipalities, and local governments from adopting laws, regulations, or rules, policies relating to water quality or energy regulation, uh, you know, effectively preventing any kind of local environmental, environmentally friendly policies from stopping local developers from doing whatever the fuck they want. Uh, Ryan, have you paid much attention to these two bills? Yeah, of course. Another, um, another uh, Tenth Amendment fundamentalist consolidarity, uh, consolidation power grab uh, from state government uh, upon uh, the levels of government that are actually closer to the people, the local governments. Yeah, it's a, again, it's just this naked assault on, um, on, on any government locally that wishes to enact the desires of their constituents to have their own uh, buildings be green and have uh, the production of their uh, energy locally be cleaner. Um, right now, municipal utilities um, have the ability to say, hey, we want to direct uh, less fossil fuel burning and we want to create our energy grid um, more uh, aligned with, um, with clean energy. This would take that ability away, um, and altogether, uh, the effect is having local governments basically be paralyzed, be afraid to do anything bold and be old and, or innovative because they'll be um, disciplined by the state government for doing so. I think there's some. I don't know if this legislation or others, but basically, it takes away the ability for local governments to, if you can believe this, even contemplate water quality um, and environmental standards as. Um, any factor that they can make in land use decisions or in ordinances, I mean, that's obviously just um, completely beyond the pale and, and totally crazy. And I think um, much more in line with even special interests and big big players like Florida Power and Light that want to take over and acquire all the local munis and, and, and be a single statewide monopoly, much more in line with what they want than what even conservative Republicans that live in these communities want. No, I think what we're seeing right now with uh, another awful red tide season here in the the Tampa Bay area um, is any – Tampa and Sarasota used to be these massive success stories when it came to changing water quality and saving seagrass. And in the past, you know, 10, 20 years, it it completely failed that. And now, you know, they're back to square one trying to – reestablish some kind of healthy water quality. Um, and so for anyone who's concerned about something like red tide and our ability to to fight the, the discharge of, uh, you know, nutrient-laden wastewater uh, into the bays, which creates these red tide blooms, like you can kiss that pretty much goodbye and sit, like embrace red tide as a seasonal reality. Um, because of a bill like this, yeah, we're seeing fish kills uh, and manatee die-offs um, like we've never seen before. Um, you know, you saw one example of the great overreach that's exactly in line with what we're talking about was the um, city of Key West, or maybe it was Monroe County. The local government in in in, in the Key West wanted to stop uh, wanted to stop the sale of um, a certain kind of sunscreen that is known to directly kill off the coral reef. You've got people swimming in the coral reef that have the sunscreen on it, kills it, um, literally damaging the environment, you know, priceless, you know, (laughs) priceless environmental resource that's just naturally good for everybody. It's good for tourism. It's good for the economy. It's good in itself. Um, The state government reached down and said, no, you can't enact this. Um, And this fetish for stopping local governments from doing anything is just... Um, ever increased in, on steroids in this session. And instead of doing it piecemeal, they've decided to do it all in one big, uh, one-size-fits-all um, swipe. So, yeah, I do. I, I remember the other uh, local ordinance that Key West passed to prevent uh, cruise ships from docking um, yeah. in, in certain areas. And yeah, that's DeSantis another one. That, that's exactly uh, a good, that good example. Away. Like the sunscreen thing, like the cruise ship thing um, is exactly the kind of decision that should be made it's best made at the local level by the people that it affects <laughs> that have democratically mm-hmm. elected leaders to make those kinds of decisions um sadly this right-wing extremist state government has uh become hell-bent on uh perverting the will and disregarding the will of people locally 
And so that's what I, I also wonder, is there going to be at some point a, a critical mass of all of these smaller interest groups um, who have become so offended and affected um, firsthand by uh, Ron DeSantis's Florida uh, that they will turn against him? Or are they so captured by the culture wars that until all trans people are dead, uh, they're just not going to care about anything else. Could well be. Um, um, I think on one hand, you're going to see DeSantis is kind of leaving his people holding the bag because if all goes according to his plan, he'll be gone in a couple of years and he'll be he'll be the president. Um, so this won't be right. his problem anymore. Um, these legislators that went and carried all this water and moved heaven and earth to, as uh, President Kathleen Pasadomo said, get his goals across the finish line. That's what he said the legislature's job is, is to take his agenda and make it Florida mm-hmm. law. Um, like a like a crazy uh, crony toady that's just totally under the sway of this um, strongman, wannabe strongman governor who the legislature even let these legislators draw their own maps for them. Um, so you've obviously seen the lack of spine and lack of backbone from the elected lawmakers um, whether indi- well, whether individual Republicans and local people across the state uh, get together and, and mount a real opposition to it, I don't know. It could well be. I, I've certainly, um, you know, hope springs eternal on that front. I do think it, it definitely, the, the situation demands it and calls for it, yeah. I think that, you know, the, 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 the state government system is, is specifically being engineered to prevent the pendulum from swinging the other way. It's meant to, 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 to destroy any kind of recourse for people. Um, to push back against it. You know, you see this with the uh, outlying uh, and the uh, ever more limitations on the ballot initiative process. People want to go around the state legislature because it's not responsive to their needs. Well, then the state legislature um, cuts off your ability to do that. Uh, local mm-hmm. governments do things that make, um, uh, that, that, that differentiate themselves uh, and that are different from what the state government wants to do. Again, a state government that's not very legitimate and does not enjoy broad support. Um, uh, no, we're we're going to limit the ability from local governments from doing anything. So um, you know their their eye towards a critical mass of opposition forming is always keen, and they are always trying to um, eliminate any alleyways or any uh, pathways for uh, undoing uh, the damage that they've done. Some of this reminds me of um, back in two 2000- thousand. Uh, 10, 2011, when Sam Brownback, the governor of Kansas, initiated uh, what he called a, a red state experiment, which was just these dramatic cuts in, in income taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sort of libertarian idea of um, what a, a fiscally run conservative state would look like. And it was a massive failure. Um, you know, he his experiment did not work. And in fact, I think that it turned Kansas like a little more blue than it would have been otherwise. I think that we are getting towards that kind of failed state uh, status. I think everyone's on a sugar high um, from the national attention <laughs> oh my God, yeah. around DeSantis's big, uh, big win. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I'm not sure what it's going to happen, what, what, what form that is going to take. But yeah, I, I think that's a really instructive example. And I, I think, yeah, it's right now what you're seeing, I think, is all of these yeah, DeSantis cronies on a sugar high, like you said, just mashing all the buttons possible and being as, as outrageous as they can because it used to be that nobody paid attention to, you know, the Florida legislation. I, I don't think that anybody really, like, there were maybe like two or three bills per year that would get any coverage whatsoever. And they were things like, uh, you know, marijuana legalization or like uh, the Amendment for uh, Felons' Rights uh, Act. Mm-hmm. Um, those would get some attention. But now there's – I think the, the point is to get your most insane policy or bill put forward with your name on it because, uh, you know, having that kind of controversy, being that kind of crazy figure it is politically viable now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Terry and, Schiavo, um, Stand Your Ground is a place where Florida legislation has uh, has become national news. But you're right, it's definitely at the center. Um, and um, it's become the center of the national conversation at a time where 
um, in an odd-numbered year where it's too late to do anything about it. Um, the time to do something about what we're seeing now was in November of 2022, and obviously um, Republicans were dramatically um, successful, and now we're seeing what they want to do if they have their druthers uh, and they have nothing stopping them. And, and this, is, this is what we get. Um, I don't think it's popular. Um, I do think that there are all sorts of, they're erecting all sorts of boundaries trying to depress voter turnout, um, trying to intimidate people um, that aren't likely to vote for them from voting, um, and structurally limit who votes. Um, but is that going to be a successful long-term strategy? I don't know. I kind of feel like they're engaging in some of the same behavior that we saw um, in the Silicon Valley banks uh, or, or, or other uh, financial crisis, uh, crisis um, where people are responding to short-term incentives, not caring about what happens in the long term. That does tend to lead to a crash. Um, but, you know, whether the state Democratic Party um, can get itself into a position to harvest um, that opportunity, you know, remains to be seen.